1: and welcome to the Motorsport Podcast in association with Mercedes-Benz.
0: Some things are made to cope with puddles and rain. Others deal with the stickiest of mud. And as for the snow, that takes a warm coat and sure footing. But when it comes to dealing with all conditions, there's only one thing that springs to mind. Mercedes-Benz 4 all-wheel drive performance in any condition so whatever the weather or road throws at you you're ready to see the 4 range for yourself visit your local mercedes-benz retailer
1: i'm ed foster and i'm joined by our grand prix editor mark hughes features editor simon aaron and the editor nick trott our special guest today, Corrine Chandhok, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. Um, eagle-eyed amongst you will notice, obviously, there's a certain F1 flavour to this podcast, and that's exactly what we're doing. We're going to preview the 2017 season. Um, there's loads of changes. The cars are wider. The tyres are wider. It's more downforce. And the tyres are supposed to last longer. Uh, we have two new drivers. There's no Nikkei Rosberg. There's a pink car, and the McLaren Honda doesn't work. Um, i we will delve into all of those. Uh, and we're also going to take uh, lots of readers' questions. We have so many that we'll try and get through as many as possible, but um, there is absolutely no when, even if we kept Karine and Mark here for four hours, would we get through all of them. Um, so Mark, I'm going to uh, come to you first and just ask, what's, what are the fundamental changes this season to the cars? Um, what's happened to the rules?
2: Um, a lot wider bodywork, um, bigger wings, bigger tires. And about thirty-five to forty percent more downforce,
1: and and they are faster. L- looking at testing, about yeah, a lot yeah.
2: faster. About three and a half seconds so far, but I think when you see it run for run comparison, it's probably going to be you know, maybe four and a half. You would say that but Barcelona four and a half. Yeah,
3: I think uh, if you look at uh, as Mark says, you have to look at it like for like. Testing last year was a twenty-two-eight, and this year we've seen an eighteen-six. So that's just over four seconds. I think till we get to qualifying. Um, in Melbourne, we won't really know. But I think the other thing this year, which is gonna be really exciting, is the rate of development. Because the teams, when you speak to the engineers and designers, you know they feel they've just scratched the surface. They've all very much got a launch car, and then, then they've all had to make quite an aggressive plan for development through the year. So I, I strongly suspect the car in Abu Dhabi Will be quite different. To what yeah, we've seen. because
2: it's so different. That whole box where you work in the aerodynamics is is no. You're no longer just refining little bits. It's everything's oh you know open. So you, you, t- to try and get the ultimate, it's a much much bigger uh, formula formula to to solve.
1: There's, there's actually a question here somewhere um, about where the development is going to be. I, he's asking whether it's going to be the power unit or the aerodynamics. I, hearing from that is the aerodynamics, isn't it?
3: I think it's both because I think um, that token system, which most people seem to loathe, is now gone. <laughs> so uh, I think it, it's it's easy for all of us to focus on the aerodynamic side because it's what we can see physically, um, but I think equally the power unit side is going to be fascinating. I mean, Mark and I had plenty of conversations last year about all this different injection stuff and various things that people are trying. Um, you know, Renault were one who didn't really use that many tokens in the last couple of years and I'd be interested to see now that development is, is free effectively, do they have the resources to throw at it in the way that Brixworth and Mercedes um, and Ferrari have done and can they keep pushing on development? And that's even before we talk about Honda.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll come to that. Uh, I think we're going to spend a large, large part of our time talking about McLaren Honda. But the you went, you've been to the test. Uh, having spoken to the drivers, what are these cars like to drive? They they, they are more physical.
3: Yeah, no, unquestionably. Um, it was interesting seeing a lot of the drivers had the. You know, I, I recognize the um, the the racing driver, my neck hurts, head twist, you know. You <laughs> tap them on the head, say, oh, how are you doing? And they do this instead of, <laughs> instead of that. So the whole body turns and I was like, yeah, I recognize that, I've been there. Um, which is great to see. And, and I think, you know, that, that there's a certain sort of perverse pleasure in getting pain out of doing a physical workout or an exercise. You know, it's the same when you go cycling, you know, you want to feel that, pain in your legs, and there's there's a sort of perverse pleasure you get out of it, and I think that was missing from racing drivers in the last few years, you know, I mean, I remember Malaysia 2010, when when I finished the Grand Prix and I got to Parc Ferme, you know, you had Alonso, uh, they all get on the wing scale looking all, you know, fit and happy, and go behind the banner boards in the FIA garage, and they're on the floor, and you know, Alonso and Kubica's there with a bag of ice on his head, and they're all drinking cans of Coke to get sugar, but they look spent and and that's I think that was missing in the last few years because the race pace was so slow and that should be different this year.
4: Do you, I mean, do you think that's going to make it a lot harder for a kid like Lance Stroll, for example, who we've seen drivers coming up from GP3 and things and immediately settling in and being able to drive, as you say, four seconds off the pace or whatever in a race? It's not, that's not going to be the case for Stroll, and it's a massive step for him from Formula 3.
3: I think any time you come into Formula 1, it's difficult. You know, if he'd come in the previous era, m- doing doing what he would have had to do in terms of tyre management would have been very different and very difficult. I mean, I, I had the chance to drive a F Formula 3 car a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, I was doing long runs just to try and knock the rust off. And it's amazing, you had zero tyre dig. And you have to remember, that's what Lance has come from. So if he had got into last year's era of F1 cars, he would have perhaps suffered with that. So I think coming into F1, it should be difficult. Formula One is the pinnacle of the sport. It should be difficult. It shouldn't be easy for rookies to just get in and get on with it.
1: Mark, the cars are faster, they're more physical to drive. Are the fans actually going to notice from the side of the track, Really, or, you know, from an, from an average grandstand? Putting aside the Valencian grandstand where you couldn't even see the track, um, but from the average grandstand, are they going to see it?
2: If they'd gone last year and they'd come back this year, yeah, you'd, you'd notice the difference. They are visibly quicker. Um, you probably wouldn't notice it on a TV screen because it tends to flatten everything out. Um, but in isolation, they look much more dramatic. I mean, you're standing at the end of the straight at Barcelona, and you are seeing them come towards that first corner at 200-odd miles an hour, and you... They're well past a fifty meter bark, and you think when's he going to, break? when 's he going to and they just break and turn in and goes and you think, the wow factor back yeah isn't it. it is and at it, it, it first you sort of go whoa, and then you, then you think back and you think, yeah well that's how they used to look before we had all this you know the, the all the, the the subsequent you know the limitations, so yeah that's they definitely do look better in isolation, but you quickly assimilate, it, you quickly get used to it, just
5: like um just like the drivers will get used to to driving them you get your eye gets used to watching them. Two questions. Did you, have any of the teams in, in, with your analysis so far actually showed their hand, delivered their true performance potential in testing? Um, and when is D-Day for performance? Is it going to be Q2 in, in Australia? When are we actually going to see these guys going absolutely flat out and the engines turned up to the, to the maximum?
2: probably be q3 actually when you when yeah. the, when they're really let rip with the engine motes. Um you'll see the you know the the, the, the midfields at the, their ultimate in q2 um, it's intriguing what we see in Barcelona cars um, Ferrari and Mercedes ostensibly look very evenly matched um, and certainly talking to some of the Mercedes guys they they think it's it's genuine um, I mean the Ferrari's was doing long runs quickly. As it wasn't just that you think, well, all right, he's done a very quick three lap run, but you know, you know how how much fuel was in it. Um, they do run different base weights, or traditionally they have Ferrari traditionally run a lower base fuel weight than Mercedes. Um, but on the long runs, that you know that wouldn't apply. So I, I think it's it, it, everything points to the fact that they the, it, it's a certainly a lot closer, um, whether it's actually faster or not, we don't know, and I think I think it might be Q3 before we discover it.
3: Yeah, I think um, that there are two things that stood out for me. Uh, I, I spent most of the two days that I was out of the test walking around different corners, because you don't get to do that on, on race weekends. Um, and, you know, I, I was at turn nine when, when Sebastian was on a medium tire long run, and Bottas was on a soft tire and like Mark says, I I do think the Ferrari was a little bit lighter at that point. But at turn nine is a tremendous corner to see how a car how a car's working and the confidence that Seb had, you know, just half a lift and the speed he carried through the apex was very similar to Ricardo, who was, you know, on a again similar time. We know the Red Bull chassis is very good. But the Mercedes didn't look as comfortable through there. Um, And coincidentally, on the flight home, I I, I had uh, the chance to chat with some Mercedes engineer. And they sort of agreed. They said that you know in the high speed, looking at, don't forget, they've all got GPS data Mm. from the different cars they can look. And that seems to be a strength of the Ferrari at the moment, is in the high speed, the cars Mm. allowing the drivers to lean on it. And the other point to me, which was encouraging for Ferrari, was that, they were able to swap different, to different tyres and still be competitive. They were competitive across all the three tyres that are really relevant. The Ultra Soft isn't relevant for Barcelona. Um, but you know across the Super soft, soft and the Medium, they actually look competitive, which we've seen too many times, I think last year, where you get to qualifying and they put a different compound of tyre and they can't switch it on, they can't get a balance, something goes away. And instead of the front row, or maybe row two, they end up on row three. And I think that that's a good sign for them.
2: Yeah, they had a very narrow window of balance last year. And if, like even if the track temperature changed from Saturday morning to qualifying Saturday afternoon. Like Mexico. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was finished. Um, so, yeah, we'll see if that trait's still there, if we see some varying temperatures. But you, the first signs are very encouraging for Ferrari. I mean, the car looks like they've done something different as well. They've, they've been adventurous aerodynamically. Uh, it's very different around the side pods to anybody else. It's got the high inlets, it's got the funny veins ahead of it. Um, so there's it, a lot of original thinking gone into it. So, you know, it m- might just be that it's genuinely and the fast.
3: And uh, the packaging around the barge port side port area particularly, I thought, was yes. is really impressive. I mean, that, and that's not, it's not something you can just create or copy overnight either. Because there's a lot of mm-hmm. little bits that go together to make well, that. A- and that has a huge effect for the airflow on the rear of the car. And and one thing that really stood out for me when you stand at turn three at Barcelona, you see them sort of come past you all the way around one, two, and three. Um, and Kimi was on a wider line, lap after lap, for whatever reason he chose that line. Um, and you could actually see, you know, dust and marbles coming off the left-hand tires. It was a the bit. same at ten. He, was, he, it, he wasn't
2: making an apex at ten. Yeah, yet. he was
3: so. And, but yeah. three is a high-speed corner. Yeah. But the rear of the car was planted you know he had his foot hard in it. he mm. was hard on the throttle the rear of the car planted and he still had the grip and i thought that that's an impressive sign you know anybody else who was out there you'd start to see a bit of movement mm. and to me that was actually quite impressive to see
5: we may need that more than ever this year we may need drivers and cars to take alternative lines if, if what we're hearing about overtaking is, is going to be more more difficult
2: aerodynamically so, it's obviously um you got shorter braking distances basically and you still got the same uh trouble with the the front wing um you know through the preceding corner although one of the one of the things that they think uh, the lower wing should do is that it places the wake in a uh a less damaging place for the following car but I think that'll sort of I even itself out. It'll be much for muchness on in terms of that. Um slipstream should be more powerful though, shouldn't it will because be more powerful? Drag is higher. Yeah. Um but some corners that were break are now just a lift and so that working against it. Uh, there'll be fewer marbles, so the the line will stay wider for longer, but on the other hand the cars themselves are wider. So I think it'll sort of balance itself out. I don't I don't think it'll be a, a radical difference in the quality of the race and but at least you know that what you're watching as the drivers hopefully is that the drivers um going flat out Mm -hmm. which you knew wasn't the case before
1: Mm -hmm. one of the big changes obviously the pirelli tires mark you did a very interesting piece on the motorsport website recently about what pirelli has done to the tires but they whilst they've stopped the sort of the rate of degradation they haven't exactly improved things in terms of with a, with a view to uh, looking to it's exciting it's racing.
2: It's it's an improvement, it's definitely an improvement on what we had on on the tires that we once you got them to a uh too hot they were finished. Um the, the, that's gone and that's what they were primarily asked to to, s- to stop doing. Um on the evidence of Barcelona uh, it looked as though they just on um, certainly on the medium tire there was no t- discernible deg at all. Um so that if if that pattern holes it would yeah you'd get a lot of one stop races um there was signs on on the, some of the long runs on the soft tire that do, do you, there is some deck it's it's it, it's a bit of a balancing act it probably has got to pull off here um and i think on a relatively cool winter's day in barcelona um it's probably not a fair it's probably not totally fair to to try and transpose that on what we're going to see um, but I, I'd say it's definitely better.
3: Um, I, I think um, there's a couple of points. One is that they should really be aiming for a two-stop race to make the racing interesting. I think a one-stop is not going to be particularly interesting. But and I spoke to Mario Isola at, at Pirelli about that. Um, and I said, what, what happens if we get to the first four races and we only see one stops? What you know, will you have the flexibility to go down a range perhaps on the tyre compound? further into the season. And he actually said they were quite open to the idea of sort of reevaluating things after the first three or four races and saying, you know what, we need to do something for the racing here and, and basically go one step down. Which, you know, traditionally they've been quite conservative in their yeah. choice of compounds, haven't they, over the last yeah. five, six years.
2: But I think is a is a bit of a misconception about uh tired People I think people think that um uh tyre deg in itself is, is what was bad and it wasn't it was the fact it was the type of deg that we had it was the fact that yeah, you it was permanent th- yeah it yeah. was the fact that it was permanent uh, even if uh, we've had tyres in the past proper racing tyres where you can get heat deg with just they get too hot to be able to support the load but you back off for a few corners and they, they, they come back well these didn't and that that's what was bad so it meant that the fastest way to drive a grand prix was to drive off the pace and that's just fundamentally wrong. That's philosophically wrong. That's just wrong on so many levels. And that's, that, that, that's what we've got rid of. So yep. that's good.
1: So well, one of the big changes is Liberty Media. Um, they've come and they've, they're now owners. What's, Karim, what, what can we expect from them this year in terms of changes? And I, I know uh, just from going to the Barcelona test, one of the big changes, um, well, for the teams, anyway, the teams are allowed to share short videos on social media, um, which and they, before they weren't even allowed to film within five kilometers of the circuit. Which you know, as a team, you're putting all the money into the sport, yet you're not even allowed to share video on social media. It seems ridiculous, but that's obviously a small change. What what can we expect from them?
3: Yeah, I think that's a good good first step. Um, personally, I don't think we're going to see anything change dramatically over the next couple of years. I I think. One of the key points, really, which Ross Braun highlighted in a number of interviews I've seen is that Formula One's been too reactive. And really what they need to be doing is looking down the line. What ha- What is the vision for the sport 2020 onwards? Because 2020 is a big year where, you know, um, the the contracts with all the teams get renewed. There's a lot of stuff with different races you know the new concord agreement or whatever it's going to be called at that point um and, and i think that's when we'll really see the true effect don't forget there's a lot of long term contracts already in place so yeah we'll see, we'll see some small changes here and there i think they they they're more actively pushing the marketing and promotional side they, i know they're recruiting very heavily on the uh, in terms of personnel for the pr marketing side which is which is what they need um but I don't think we're going to see revolutionary stuff in the next couple of years, and I think that's right. I think they they need, rather than do knee-jerk changes, I think it's good to have a period of taking stock and then make Re- a step by step research. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm I'm really excited about that. Oh, sorry, sorry.
5: Any sport, in particular Formula One, it, it is more enjoyable when you enjoyable when you have a real passion for a team or a driver, and everything everything you do is about following that person or that team. And I think it's if you're if you're discovering Formula one and have been over the last five years or so you're probably going through all the teams going well who do I follow but you haven't really had enough media necessarily from the teams or the drivers themselves to actually really hook into someone so I'm really I was really excited that Red Bull delivered a, a video that evening of the first test I thought that was impressive and equally Ferrari had this seemed to have some kind of Blackout, you know, in the first two days, and I was at Maranello during the, the tests, and it was it was clear that was a strategy. Just just don't tell anyone about it. But you know, in the restaurants and everything, all the everyone was going, why don't we know what's happening with Ferrari? What's happening with our team? You know, and of course, Red Bull have <laughs> already produced a film. Yeah. That's brilliant for the
3: fan. Well, that, that's you know, what that's the fans the, want. I mean, and yeah. I think I you know, America knows how to do sport, yeah. don't they? They and when you look at it, you know, and that's why. I'll be honest, I was a little bit disappointed that Haas weren't more NASCAR in their yeah. approach and yeah. they ended up going more down the sort one. of Formula One road. Yeah. You know, like in in you know, we should be able if you look at a NASCAR race, you're and there's a yellow with ten laps to go, the T V people are there talking to a Stuart Haas engineer <laughs> or the crew chief as they call it, yeah. or even Gene Haas on the wall you know as he's like he pushes the headset back and he's talking to the tv guy and he's you know and and i was hoping for a bit more of that and i was hoping that they would rub off on everybody else but in the end they sort of went the f1 route of everybody else and having a pr man as a filter to everything and and actually being quite closed off like everybody else so i hope they change that
4: well I mean, there are certain other aspects of the nascar model we could adopt like more punch-ups in the pit lane afterwards
3: oh, the <laughs> last the last week one was Did hilarious isn't it, yeah. it was brilliant.
4: yeah
1: yeah um we, we got a question here from nauman mithani uh, what improvements do we want from Ross braun marked um in terms of short term and and then long term as well because he is looking after the motorsport side of things
2: yeah he's looking after the sport and, and technical sides and on those i don't think you're going to see um, any quick change, like as Corinne was saying before, you're gonna see a lot of stuff going on in the back, or you're not gonna see it, it's going on in the background, uh, where he's gonna have a team of people around him researching um, how to get to where they want and where they wanna be, is uh, cars that are better at race, cars that excite the fans more, um, so that you know, they've got better ma- raw material uh, to work with on a the, on the promotional side. Um, I think you're gonna, j- it's going to be an era compared to what we've had for the last 30 odd years it's it's not going to be so openly confrontational there's there's always going to be arguments and uh, negotiations going on in the background but um the the way of resolving those is going to be much less uh, confrontational and i think with ross there are there are three strands of the sport: as the 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 commercial rights holder there's the the fia and the, the teams And traditionally, any two of those have been in dispute with each other at any given time. And that's just how it's worked. That's just the the personalities involved. Now, Ross Ross works for the commercial rights holder. Uh, He used to be a team boss, and he's got a very good relationship with the president of the FIA. So he is in a unique position, better than anybody in history has ever been, to pull those together, those three threads together as one. Um, and I think he will do that. I think um, Ross is just someone calm, analytical, uh, but with a you know core of steel. He just be like a tank going towards its target. It'll just you you will get
3: there. I think for me the the one of the big issues heading to 2020, and it's not again something that we resolved before, is how they can safeguard the future of teams and how we can get another team or two on the grid and and not have this big disparity. Uh, and speaking privately to i spoke to probably three different team bosses in barcelona and really the only way to do it is to tear up the existing model and start again whether they can or not is a different story but yeah
2: post 2020 that's what they'll, they will have to do so then you get into a very difficult negotiation with principally ferrari um uh, whereby you say look we're gonna uh, uh redistribute the income um, meritocratically." yeah and then you, then you're gonna have a potential standoff um and that's gonna be the big i think and then two, two and three years down, down the yeah. down the line aren't they because they're
3: so with two teams
2: yeah i mean and he's also i mean the other thing russ is going to try and impose it that he was said he already said he would like to impose is some level of cost cap so again you're gonna have three teams saying absolutely not and the other seven are saying yes, please, yes, please, yes, please. So the, how you resolve that as well? So yeah, it's it's all nicey nicey at the moment because it's it's new owners, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's you know it's, it's a, re- a, re- a nice reboot and all relationship. It's kind of a honeymoon, isn't it? Yeah, honeymoon, exactly. Honeymoon. But there are some very very difficult questions to be resolved.
4: But I have to say, I would abs- and I've mentioned in previous F1 preview podcasts, I would love to see some form of cost cap and greater technical freedom. I'll just yeah, think it'd I be, think would uh, be brilliant.
2: I think that's something that Ross would like to see as
3: well. Long I, I, I just I I struggle with the idea of how you'd police a cost cap. Yeah, certainly. Sort of well, have no idea how you do you it, but it, it, especially a Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, or or, or, or or anyone, or a company like Mercedes or Renault who've got companies set yep. up all around the world. How are you ever going to monitor all of that? Yep. You know, it's just. I think that that is. I think the the more interesting thing is to see, can you. Create a system where the cost-benefit ratio effectively becomes self-policing. Meaning, you know, by spending an extra hundred million, if you're only going to find a tenth of a second, well, really, does that justify spending it? You know, and yeah. then it sort of becomes self-policing. That's the only way I can see it happening.
2: Or well, maybe, maybe you say you can spend what you want, but once above a certain rate, it's 99% tax, and you give the other t- <laughs> 99% to the other teams. <laughs> That'll be the Eddie Jordan model. In order. Uh,
1: let's uh, let's turn our our focus to 2017. Um, we, we've mentioned it. We've all had a bit of a. What? Um, we will be talking about 16 to now? <laughs> 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 um, but I, what, we, what we're about to talk about, we've obviously mentioned it. McLaren Honda. Um, what has happened, and is the
3: light at the end of the tunnel? Uh, I'm struggling to see it in the same way that I think everyone in Barcelona and that carriage is struggling to see it. Um, yeah, I mean I I saw Fernando briefly on Friday I think it was was he trying the final day of the test? Yeah, it was Friday and um, he just sort of shrugged and waved and said sort of, I don't know what to say and I was like yep, (laughs) and uh, it's just there's a lot of shrugging the shoulders and rolling the eyes from the McLaren side of it and a lot of stressed looking people from the honda side you know we've done 8 days of testing and the whole of the second week they couldn't do 11 laps in a row which is less laps than they would do in a qualifying session let alone a grand prix really
2: yeah i mean the the secret of what's wrong is hidden deep within the internals of that engine um and so it's a fundamental problem clearly and it was only discovered you know when they got the car on the track uh, although apparently it it was problematical in a different way on the dyno and they resolve some things on the dyno when something different came up when they they ran it on the track. So, you know, it, it's just a how long how long does it take to get that fix in place? We we don't know because obviously they're being very secretive about exactly what it is. Um it could be that, you know, they within a couple of months they've found the magic that switches it all on and lets you run at full power and it turns out it's okay. But that's, you know, the, the best possible outcome. Uh, the other one is it's just a fundamentally flawed engine and we've got this whole season, a bit like, um, you know, 20, 2015.
1: Is it fair for McLaren to say it is all Honda's fault? All right, but what is the McLaren chassis actually like? Does I mean, like, it's tough I to I think it's too, it's too, too
2: difficult. It's to difficult to judge. Yeah, you can't. It's running reduced... You know, reduced power, it's running hardly any time. Oh, it's laps. hardly running. Well, <laughs> and, 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 and all
3: of it, you know, you listen to the gear shift, Stone Side, right? Every yeah. time I saw Fernando, you know, every time he does an upshift, there's such a, a cut in the gear cut on the, on the torque curve, the car, the rear of the car actually moves. They haven't had time to set up the electronics, the engine braking is not set up, the, the harvesting of the ERS affects the balance, and you know, you can't judge anything. Just with all the problems they've had. Yeah, and once they've realized what the, you
2: know, they've got a serious problem, they will and, and decided to try and run it in sort of you know, limp-home mode, <laughs> almost, um, which is effectively what they've had to do, someone will have had to reconfigure a lot of software in a hurry. So I'm sure that's got a lot to do with why it suddenly s- it stops on an outlap and brings the red flags out. So it just compounds and compounds. And, and,
3: and that really affects the motivation of people as well, from the McLaren side. You know, what, what is the motivation... <laughs> from the 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 aero design chassis side for the guys to be looking for the extra half tenth yeah. when they're missing yeah. 2 seconds in <laughs> in in another department you can you imagine
2: know? it's just must be horribly frustrating must yeah. just, just be awful
5: okay so so you're zac brown what do you do now do you very quietly in the background try and court another engine partner who's already in the sport or do you well stick with in theory,
2: and you would think there is capacity there for Mercedes to supply an engine on a customer basis. It, it's not no longer supplying MANA and it, everything had it been geared around doing that. Um, it's b- been the best engine. It, it, we'll see if it still is, but it, it's certainly a competitive engine. Um, I think if you're Zac Brown, you're probably having a very serious talk with your shareholders and saying is this the time to Pump some money in to invest in the team um, to do to do something like that. if it costs money to get it, I think it's it's something you got to be considering in the background. As I say, it may be a short, short, quick, easy fix that just looked disastrous at the time, and actually was just a hiccup. But if this is a real long-term problem and you don't have faith that it's going to change, then maybe it is time to start thinking that. You know, sort of like they did in '93. They're running Cosworths in between um, you know manufacturer deals might have to think of something like that again
3: i mean the the part that i don't get is that you know i I go back to let's say the super successful mclaren honda day of past but they had a car out in suzuka all the time with alan McNish or jonathan palmer or mark blundell you know these guys were pounding round and round and round forget the race drivers um and even in the next era you know I'm pretty sure Anthony Davidson was pounding around Suzuka in some form of test car. So, you've got testing regulations, I get that, but Honda also own and supply half the grid of super formula cars.
2: And on the circuit.
3: And on the circuit. You know, the car produces a ton of downforce. I don't get why they haven't created this test mule Mm. that's just running non-stop. I mean, to me, that's that's a little bit of... um, a, a sign of commitment to f- sol- yeah, it to it problem solving. Just
2: from the outside, it just looks a bit like a you know an interesting little R and D project for some of the engineers, as opposed to a serious you know full on effort from a manufacturer. Yeah. That's it, the thing. It, it just just has the look of a backed up R and D project, which is it might be unfair. There might be a you know hundreds of people that we don't see working absolutely flat out. But I do wonder how much commitment they are D- sh- showing. D- it
4: D- does Honda still recycle its engineers? on a regular basis like it used to. Yeah, yeah. So the lack of continuity... Uh, Yeah, but I mean, they had that
2: system in place when we were winning all judges. It's quite quite
3: clear that, you know, when they... Whatever they're seeing on the dyno is one thing, but it's quite clear that there's a lot of issues when you put the car on track and you've got all the the stresses and the lateral loads and stuff. I mean, I think it's quite commonly known now that Mercedes invested heavily in the super dyno sort of facilities a few years ago, and that's paid dividends. Um, but clearly, there's issues when you put the car on track, and I I don't get why they haven't got, you know, Matsushita or or Jensen who's around, just pounding around Suzuka every week for two three days a week. In you a know? super formula car, In a super it, formula with, car, with, because with the, you know, you you and you could yeah. you could put all the loads through it. You could test a load of things. You could have two cars running all the time. If if they were genuinely, see, and I, and I think. Are you pitching for a job? I was about to say, well, yeah, um,
1: if, if if Zach is listening, um, if you'd like Kareem's it contact details, <laughs> do you get in touch.
3: Yeah, yeah, but but you know, I, if you, I think that everybody's cut them quite a bit of slack in the last two years. You know, 2015 there was a lot of their, it's their first year back, et cetera, et cetera. 2016 there were signs of improvement, so I think everyone sort of thought, okay, they're making progress. I'm not sure this year whether. People will be as generous with, with uh, sort of letting them off the hook.
1: Now, it's obviously, this all has a bearing on Alonso. We've got quite a lot of questions ab- about Alonso. There's one f- here from Adrian King. With the ongoing McLaren problems, is there a strong possibility that Alonso will not see this year out? Anyone? I think I think he'll. St- I, I I think he'll stay in regardless because
2: you've got a very interesting time in the driver market coming up for next year a lot of contracts are coming up for renewal the whole market could be blown apart i think you'd want to be around for that rather than y- y- you're going to be if your current currency you know it, it's it's better than if you've been seen to have jacked it in halfway through the season
1: so there's a, there's a question here from uh, Lucio Chiodi who is wondering where where he's going to go really the Red Bull isn't really an option
3: uh, Probably what, but not. They've got their really own junior
2: great. program. Um, and you know, and you they've got
3: three really good guys, and potentially if yeah, Kylian gets his together, of yeah. as well. You, you, you
2: would think if they lose one of um, Ricciardo Verstappen, it'll be science that gets the nod. Um, so no, I wouldn't have said Red Bull. Um, Ferrari, going back to Ferrari, probably difficult on both sides. I wouldn't say impossible, but... Probably, Probably difficult.
1: back at McLaren now, I suppose. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: um, and if if the car's a rocket ship, you know, the, it's amazing how quickly you can forget about all your previous history. Um, so, possibly uh, Mercedes. I, mm, I don't know. I, I think there's there's generally a, a reluctance to put Hamilton and Alonso together from the team management. Um, although it's what you know a lot of the fans would love to see. Um, if, if Lewis decides to stop, who knows? Um, I don't. I don't see that he is. I don't see any signs that he's thinking like that. But yeah, I mean, he would, I guess, be the obvious shoe in for that.
3: I wonder if he has a shout of going back to Renault. If Renault start to make the works Renault team start to show signs yeah, I'm sure of progress, he could go back there any he wanted. Yeah, that's no, so what I mean. I yeah. wa- I wonder if that's, uh, that's a conversation to, that happens. Yeah the
1: problem is, is anywhere he goes, the car will immediately be uncompetitive won't it i mean it's, it's <laughs> can you can you think of another f one f- driver from history who's as talented as Alonso but has had such bad luck slash made bad decisions in terms of team movements because everywhere he goes the <laughs> the car doesn't perform
2: yeah chris Amon, similar but um yeah I, I mean, a lot of it's as you as you suggested, a lot of it was um, uh, self. A lot of those problems were, were he, he made himself. So um, he, he set himself off on a course sort of in two thousand really and seven. Really, and it's still rebounding now. They, they, the run on from, from that is still playing out.
4: It still seems re- it seems remarkable that more than ten years have passed since he won his second world title. Just just it's a 10th anniversary like
1: of, of Hamilton coming into the sport, and that mm-hmm. seems very recent as well. So, my theory
5: and his theory Lewis will go to Ferrari and he'll finish his career at Ferrari as Ayrton wanted to finish his career at Ferrari, and then Fernando will go to Mercedes mainly because that'll be a great cover.
2: Right. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> but actually, wow, well, you know, yeah. and, and that it, let's face it, that, that's not beyond the realms of possibility, is but it? Things like that open up.
2: up if if the Ferrari is competitive. No, it, 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 suddenly that, it, it's 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 a fascinating prospect for more reasons than just we're going to see better competition on the track. Suddenly the whole kaleidoscope but, of possibilities.
3: Oh, and, wow, And what if Kimi out-qualifies Seb like he did last year? You know, what, yeah. if, what if Kimi suddenly well, emerges as the number one in Ferrari? Then what happens? Well, Seb will go to McLaren.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> as a loyal listener of the Motorsport podcasts, you can get 25% off the AMG basic training half-day course at Mercedes-Benz World. It's an action-packed, track-based experience with expert tuition, and the offer is valid until May 31st, 2017. Simply call Mercedes-Benz World on 0370 400 4000 and quote offer AMG 25. For more information, go to (laughs) www.mercedes-benzworld.co.uk. Corinne, let's have a look at Hamilton and Bottas. Uh, going to a new team, um, Mercedes works team, having Hamilton as a teammate, is has Bottas made first of all has he made the right decision doing this one-year deal, um, and is he really going to be able to be on a par
3: with Hamilton at points? Uh, has he made the right decision? It's obviously yes. You're totally. Ne- you're yeah. you're <laughs> never ever ever going to say no to driving for the world championship favourite, uh, irrespective of who's in the other car. Um, you know. I think we were talking about before whether drivers, and Nick asked a question, do, do teams show their hand until qualifying? I don't think drivers like Lewis or Kimi, for example, or Seb, show their hand fully until Q2 Q3. I think they they like, you know, Kimi famously used to do it to Montoya at McLaren. You know, he wouldn't show his hand till they got to qualifying and then he'd blitz him um, in 2006. And, and that completely, you know, all of a sudden all the Latino toys would come out of the prime. Um, and I think that's something that that we're all thinking it, so I'm sure Valtteri is as well. I'm sure Valtteri is quite aware that mm, this bloke's probably got three or four tenths in his hand when he when he needs it. Um, I'll be interested to see how they, get, how they get on. Honestly, it's impossible to judge from preseason season testing. That's a curious um,
5: dynamic there, isn't it? Because what do you do if you're Bottas? Do you play the same tactic, which it's potentially not going to be particularly revealing if you want to know how you know how quick you can
3: go in this car. um yeah or do you just go absolutely flat out in testing i think i think valtry's priority of pre-season testing is really to understand the working method of the team um you know the language they speak when they do a setup change, what does it do to the car? How do they deal with problem solving, a balance issue? How, how you know, how, just understanding the systems. You know, we we famously, need watch on board with Rosberg, or particularly Rosberg, you know, there's a lot of brake balance changes across the qualifying lap, you know, and that wasn't something you saw a lot of the other drivers doing. You know, you see the odd change, but not as much you know why was he doing that is that something i need to do in qualifying and you know there's there's all that kind of stuff and i think it's about doing the long runs and understanding how they communicate strategically how they make you know changes to the strategy things like that are what it's it, his test program isn't about looking for the last couple of tents. it's it's about getting comfortable in the environment and trying to get up to speed with with the car q3 again isn't it then in australia
4: I find it very hard to assess just how good Valtteri Bottas might or might not be. I mean he was good in GP3 and he's looked decent with Williams, in his time with Williams but there well, were times We'll find
3: we, out in two weeks time. Well, on we
4: will we, <laughs> we but it's very hard to know to be sure, to have a clear picture because I mean there were some times when he was plain blown off by Felipe Massa. Um, last year not so much but Massa was arguably beyond his sell-by date a little bit maybe. Um, but I just find it his true potential very hard to assess it just you know up and down performances sometimes excellent sometimes barely visible
3: yeah I mean he'll, he'll have nowhere to hide in a Mercedes no. you know because if, even on a bad day he should be qualifying in the top four assuming Ferrari are where we think they're potentially gonna be even even on his worst day he should be fourth but you know he's up against the, the bloke who is in, in every generation there's been a super talent that's arrived and and Lewis undoubtedly is one of those. So this is this is where you'll get your answer.
2: In terms of competitiveness, though, anything less than slotting in where Nico left off, don't mean necessarily winning the championship. Just in comparison and pace to Lewis, anything less than that, it's it's game yeah. over, isn't it? Surely. Yeah,
3: sure. Uh, and, and and that's still the, one of the hottest seats on the grid. You know, yeah. and, and, that and that
4: means being within a. 10th, 10th and a half most of the time, sometimes faster.
3: And you can be sure that people like science and and people like Alonso and Van, Van Dorn, I mean, we're all talking about yeah. Alonso, but to me, Van Dorn is potentially the most talented rookie to have arrived into F1 since Hamilton. And, you know, what? what's he going to do? Um, surely that talent can't be wasted at driving a car that, you know, that potentially can't finish the races. So... Mm. Uh, you'd imagine Toto he's on the a big phone. fan as well. Toto's a big fan, and and you know you'd imagine he's going to be on the phone fairly soon. If if, as Mark says, that scenario plays out where Faltrey isn't able to match what Nico did, well, there's going to
1: be a lot of voicemails from Formula One drivers on Toto's phone, isn't there? Um, Oh, just, let's talk about Williams where Bottas has come from. Uh, There's a question here from Wallace who uh, wants to know your take on Williams in 2017 uh, especially with the arrival of Paddy Lowe. Um the Bottas deal, would that have ensured absolute parity on engine spec between the factory team and Williams?
2: I think they'll have uh, the, the 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 pace looks respectable and they're not going to be challenging you know the the works Mercedes are, but they never have done. Um, it, it looks a, a good, solid, uh, consistent car from testing. Um, it's probably got mm, arguably the weakest lineup driver lineup on the grid. That, uh, that
1: there is a, a question here from Ray asking whether it is the worst driver lineup, yeah. So I mean, Felipe. That, that, that one.
2: Philippe, I think, was already past his best uh last year. Seventeen um,
3: eight to Valtteri, seventeen three I think to qualifying. I yeah, guess, last year.
2: Um, which you know was well down on his previous years performances against Valtteri. So there were already suggestions there that his performance was tailing off last year. Um, he's been pulled out of retirement to help a team out. Um, so you got to question what his yeah you know, his level of commitment would, is is would be. I'm sure he's he's loving being back because why wouldn't you? But um, I'd still say there's question marks about. You know, when you, how far on the edge do you put it? How, you know, Just the little questions in the back of your mind. Um, And Stroll, you yeah, know, very, very inexperienced. Um, He's had a few shunts uh testing. I wouldn't necessarily say it's going to be a disaster for Stroll. He, he, you know, he could get there in the end, but at the moment he's not... Uh, at at the level to come straight in in the manner of, you know, some of the starring rookies of the of the that we've seen of recent years. So we'll see. But it, it I, yeah, they, they will get points, they'll look respectable at times, struggle at other times. I, I think it's a, a holding season for Williams um and planning for the future with Paddy joining. Maybe Alonzo will go there. Right. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, and maybe, you know, with um, the with, with Stroll um, uh, investing, allowing more, uh, f- more of the programs to be switched on to properly take advantage of the, the team's facilities because it's, um, it's sort of in that awkward no-man's land. It's not a big team. It's not a little compact force India team either. But to properly access the potential of that probably needs a bit more investment, and that's, I guess, where Stroll comes in. And if that's been directed by Paddy um, long-term, you'd say that's that's probably a very
1: good plan. What do you think they would have got for the Bottas deal? Because I'm sure they they, they bargained quite heavily. Would they have got a lump sum, or would they have got more parity on the engine?
2: Um, a, A lump sum, I understand. Yeah, quite substantial. Oh, one. Oh, right. well, that, that it's that a one.
1: public company, you'll find
3: out <laughs> <in> <laughs> well, you fairly soon when you see the out. accounts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, a team we haven't really talked about, Red Bull, uh, arguably one of the strongest driver lineups on the grid. Are Verstappen and Ricardo going to be friends at the end of the season?
3: I, I think if they're not fighting for the World Championship, yeah. I think I think the, the pressure of fighting for the World Championship certainly will change that dynamic. Yeah. But. At the moment, they're fighting a common goal, which is trying to get the reliability up <laughs> and, and therefore unlock the speed. Because un- unquestionably, as we've seen time and time and again in the last few years, the chassis is good. They just they haven't been able to unleash all of the power and the high power modes because they're struggling with reliability. A um, couple of things, though, when you look at the Red Bull and, and quite a good look at it in the pit lane, they they didn't seem to be massively keen to pull these screens all around the cars they had done in the past and they sort of parked at the end of the pit lane quite happily. Um
2: I wonder if we see quite a different Red Bull and Melbourne. Yeah,
3: it, it doesn't look as complex as I would have expected. It doesn't look as complex or, as a as a the barge areas, it's all very plain, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, I think they've arrived at pre-season testing with a relatively low, dra- aimed at lower drag than they would have liked to see where they are on the lay of the land in terms of performance. And then I can see quite a big update package for Melbourne. Uh, and if not, certainly when we come back to Europe for Barcelona, I can see that, that uh, that's the team out of the top three. I can see having a very different car in three or four races a time.
5: That's super exciting, isn't it? The fact that come Australia, or, maybe, or hopefully it's Australia, maybe it is Europe, but Red Bull will turn up and they'll be right there. And that's six cars. And that's six
1: cars all... Fighting over the uh, it would be the last time, time, Yeah, which that's exactly what, what we, we want. Yeah. Mark, can you explain to me what the difference is between a Renault engine and a TAG Heuer engine?
2: It's uh, just the name.
1: It's just the name. And yeah. so, but so Red Bull have they been doing any development on their own with that? Or no, no. Is it literally just names. No, so it's they just are just still just using the, the engine power unit, which is the well. Putting aside Honda, that is the weakest out there. Would you say? Uh, well, last year it was probably
2: third, but not not that far off. Um, they made big strides last year. Um, it's probably a couple of tenths off last year.
1: Okay, so, so it's not it's not too bad.
2: Uh it wasn't a disaster last year, but you, you, it's a moving target. So you, you know, Ferrari have clearly made gains. Merck have probably made gains. Um, we we'll see what um, the Renault has. It's got new cylinder heads designed by Mario Alien.
1: Um, he, do, he now left. He's now left. He's though, hasn't left it? now because he's right.
2: completed the, the 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 task. Right. Um, so it,
3: they seem to be having ERS issues more than yes. the actual yeah, ICE yeah. engine in the yeah. MG UK sort of issues. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of letters. With, with all three. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the
1: joys of modern <laughs> Formula One. Oh, I know. Well, what about the Renault Works team? They had a difficult season last year, but yep. it, it's a case of rebuilding, isn't it? But yeah. they've, they've done a, a little bit. But how hard is it as Renault to entice the big names and build up the team again?
3: Honestly, when you watch trackside, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I, I think actually the car looked a lot better than I expected it to. Um, they're, they're in the, you know, there's still a lot of stuff going on that needs to be shaken out. You know, obviously, they've lost Frederick Vassio, who who I quite like. I think I think he's actually a really good guy and a true racer, uh, and he's gone now as a team principal. Um, Cyril is, seems to have sort of taken over that. Whether they'll replace Fred, we'll wait and see. Um, I think Hulkenberg is a good addition. I think he, he's got a lot of experience now, and he'd he be a good number one, good solid number one. Um, the car, you know, looks like last year they, you know, there were occasions like Azerbaijan, they were on the back row of the grid, and I'm sure it doesn't matter, you can come up with all the rebuilding stories in the world, but when the bosses show up from the Renault boardroom, they would not have been impressed seeing that. Um this year, they look like they moved themselves out of that pack and into that midfield. Force India, Williams, Haas potentially, Toro Rosso fight. So they, they, I think there's actually five teams in that bunch. Williams may be at the head of the bunch, but certainly there's four just behind them. So I think it's good progress. But they, you know, at their lowest point, when they took over the team, they were down to 435 people, I believe. And at its peak, Endstone was sort of 650. Um, I believe that now in March they'd be back up to sort of 560 or so. So that that's quite a big step forward from where they were, you know, this time last year in terms of just number of people working on on the chassis side.
1: And mm-hmm. um, what of Force India, Mark? Putting aside the colour, is they they <laughs> they are sort of known as the the team with the biggest buying for its buck in terms yeah, of what I they mean, spend Yeah, I was very
2: impressed at, at the launch when uh, Vijay Malley is um, batting away. Renault's claims that the works teams will just disappear from the independence yeah, in this formula because they've got, they've got so much um, more facilities and uh, in the, the integration of the power unit and the chassis would be. He batted that away and uh, said, I see no reason why we can't go one better and be third this year." Um, I think that's, oh, that's that's painting it pink um, but uh, I d- but you know don't count them out there uh, d- for the size of team they do a remarkable job and um, it's just very very well managed well tailored team it they just the, the hard points are that right okay we're not doing it on our own wind tunnel we're going to use a Toyota wind tunnel which has had you know one of the millions and millions spent on its fantastic tunnel it's Everybody uses it pretty much. Um, okay, we're not even going to do our own gearboxes. We'll just take the Merck one. The Merck one works. We know that works. We put that in with the Merck engine. So all those things—they're not—they don't have uh, you know ambitions above the station. They they just say right. These are the hard points. This this is how much money we have. This is how we're going to do it. And they just manage it very very well. And they've got a great technical you know leader in Andy Green. Um, and he just—they—they've f- they, just got that down pat. How to y- utilize what they've got very, very, very well. Um, but that's never going to be, you know, you, it, unless you have a, a radical change of uh, regulations. Um, that's never going to be a team that is going to be able to take on uh, the works teams. But it's—it's, it's, you know, it, it's done what it's done. It's fourth last year. It, it's been fifth. It's, that's that's just what it does. It's very but, good. But
3: I- importantly, I think. They're, they're actually a good case study in, from a financial standpoint, they're a self-sufficient team now. Yeah. You know, but then with, they finish fourth, they get X amount of money from FOM, they get X amount of money from driver sponsorship through Perez, and, and now a bit of other sponsorship through, and it's a self-funded team. So all of
2: everybody has to do is finish fourth, and then everybody's fine. Yes, <laughs> <laughs>
3: basically. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but also, you know, it, it sounds easy to say, but actually to use that amount of money they've yeah. got, and I think Mark raised a really good point, which is I think Andy Green is is actually quite underrated. I'm surprised, for example, that people like Ferrari haven't tried to hit on him. Maybe they have, but I'm surprised people like Ferrari haven't tried to chase him down when they lost James Allison or or even McLaren and people like that, because I think he's he's really really good at delivering. Well, he was briefly at Red Bull, wasn't he? He was, yeah.
4: yeah. But it's, it's quite nice because I mean he, it, I mean Andy Green goes back to the days when Force India was the was was, yeah. was, was, was Jordan yeah. F3000 team yeah. so is yeah. was a race engineer a there so
1: yeah Corrine yeah. uh, what about Cyber is is the light at the end of the tunnel for them because they've had a, a very tough time over the last few years um, I guess budgets and money is always the always the bottom line but it, this is a sound ruder than it's meant to, but what's the point for cyber? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah,
5: you've so got to ask, ask that that question. Mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but
1: you've got to ask, haven't <laughs> you? Because it's, you know, because I'm sure they can't be making the
3: finances work. Well, they, they've obviously got that investment come through from um, last, last. I think it was early last year, wasn't it? The Longbow Investment came through.
2: Middle of the season. Yeah,
3: middle of the season. And that, that sort of safeguarded their immediate future, um, you know, Getting ahead of Manor last year helped for another another chunk of money. Um, but you're right, you know, you look at the car. And actually, aesthetically, I quite like the car. I think, yeah. it, you know, it actually looks like looks quite nice a nice car. And yeah. they've actually, there's quite good detail work on it. You know, they've obviously put a lot of effort into it. Um, but then when you look at the actual livery, there's not many sponsors on it. So that, that's quite hard. Um, I'm sure there's a bit of money from Mercedes or Verline, and, and obviously, we know about Ericsson, but it's tough for them from fi- from a financial standpoint and also now I suppose with, with Renault having moved forward um, who are they competing against I guess McLaren is. is well all they need to do is do more than 11 laps and they've got them beat <laughs> so uh, yeah. and I think that that's a slightly tricky thing is unless they they find the next greatest and and, and and don't forget they were the year old engine so start of the season they'll be fine as the season goes on that that will suffer as the engine development moves on they they will perhaps i suspect aim for their traditional path of let's go for mega reliability at the start try and pick up the odd points which which could happen they were they were actually really reliable in pre-season testing so um they sort of go for that case model, I'd imagine. Mm.
1: Right, we've got we've got about five minutes left, so I wanted to take as many readers' questions as possible and also try and get everyone's thoughts on who they think is going to win this year's championship. Um, there's a question here from Kevin, who it's, it's based in Indonesia, worldwide podcast this. Uh, Mark, there's several drivers who claim this year's car will serve their style better. I'm wondering, seen from Trackside, is the difference between styles very apparent, or are there any drivers who have to, are going to have to change their style
2: you can see the drivers uh carrying more speed in and being more aggressive um in, in combined uh braking and lateral um so for somebody like fernando that will that will be very good um yes you you can you you can see it more um whereas before everybody was sort of held back to the same false ceiling um certainly in in the race um there were um yeah, I think I don't. I don't. I think everybody's good enough on there to be be able to assess what the tyre needs and and adapt the driving style. I don't think it's that it, it's going to penalise or reward um, one more than the other. But you you will see difference differences in style more easily on these tyres than on the what we had before. Yeah,
1: want right. one here from t- Sam Smith. What do you think of the proposed wet starts? First of all, what are they, and what uh, what are the proposed starts, and what what do you think?
3: Well, I think it's just not just for wet starts, but I think uh, anytime we see a safety car, I believe they'd come back to the grid, line up, and they'll see another start, which yeah. which would be entertaining for the fans. Yeah. Um, I think there's still a few question marks over how exactly it's going to yeah. pan out uh, in terms of actual procedure and how practically it's going to work. But um, th- there are some changes, you know, for example, the car you know, who starts in the pit lane, for example, you know, the safety car laps actually at the start of the race no longer count from what I understand. So they'll do the laps on the safety car. It doesn't actually count towards the Grand Prix. They come back onto the grid to do the standing start. At that point the guy comes to the pit lane. So we we'll see some changes. Um it could mean potentially more incidents. It could mean opportunities to jumble up the order. Um I mean races like Melbourne pretty much guaranteed a safety car, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Every year. Yep. So I think we, we should get a fairly co- quick look at, at how it works quite soon into the season.
1: Corinne, so, I know you, you've got strong thoughts on sort of huge runoff and, uh, t- well, huge run runoff. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's why I'm going to come to you for this question. Um, this is actually t- uh, one from Naaman who we took a question from earlier. He's basically, this is sort of quite a long question, but he's just asking, um, is there no one else apart from Herman Tilker in terms of designing tracks? Because he says that a lot of the tracks he's designed aren't, producing exciting racing um, so there's that question and the second part is from Ray um, and he's asking about the endless runoffs. and is this ever going to change um, it seems like a driver can go off the circuit rejoin lose no time and then finish a Grand Prix and be told that he had a wonderful drive
3: yeah, I mean, the, to the first question: there are there are other people who design circuits. I mean, Alex Wilson runs a company that does it. Uh, there's a guy called Clive Bowen who runs a company called Apex. Uh, they did Dubai and China, a couple others. So, so there are other people out there. Um, you know, Tilka has obviously monopolised in many ways the the F1 market. I think for recent circuits. Um, and but but it's a very simplistic thing to do to blame. Tilka and his people for, for what's going on. Um, circuits are designed in conjunction with the FIA and the FIA Safety Department and the Circuits Commission. So there's a lot of there's a lot of committees and commissions involved with these decision-making processes. For example, a circuit like Le Mans, every year we go back to Le Mans, we see more and more tarmac runoffs and more and more tarmac put down, and that's got nothing to do with Tilka. Um, circuit of America is a Tilka, is Sorry? Circuit of
2: America, that's Tilker, isn't it? The I think
3: so, yeah. Th- that's a great circuit. It's a great circuit, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's got lots of tarmac runoffs, but, yeah, it, but it, it's, it's a great circuit. Um, and Sepang, I think Sepang's actually a great circuit yeah, to they, drive yeah. on. You get great yeah. racing, and there's something for the drivers, so it's easy to knock him. But um, I I don't know what the answer is, to be honest, and, and why we, we seem to be going a long way down this path of tarmac runoffs, and then it just adds complication. You know, we try and find this high curb or we try and find astroturf you know i don't know how many more times i've got to say i I don't see what's wrong with real grass and real gravel um you know there's there's a lot of complications with the bikes as well because you know the fim have their own safety norms for the same circuits but surely you can put you can put six meters of grass and gravel and then have 10 kilometers of tarmac and it'll stop a lot of what we're seeing of people corner cutting and, and putting wheels off track
1: the the basic ones in terms of bikes versus cars is the bikes want uh, the kitty letter yep. and then the cars want tarmac. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, so a constant battle. But Silverstone manages just about?
3: Yeah, but you still have, you know, the Exeter Club, Exeter Cops, you know, the 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 constant arguments about, oh, do we have six inches of the wheel over the white line? Uh, you know, I, I hate having those arguments. You know, it's like we should be we should be when qualifying's over, we should be looking at the sector times and the lap time. We shouldn't immediately be wondering, are they going to show us a replay of a guy with half a wheel over the white line of cops? You know, the result should be the result. Um, the and, the and key there is, is, is not
1: to have Vessel behind you, who is then constantly radioing and saying that Fernando's gone over
5: the white line again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, right, I, I fear for a, uh, a, a kind of a rule or, or something being dreamt up where... Um, a time penalty is imposed on, on the car during its next lap, so you know, it's only allowed to use three quarters of its performance or something like that. It's where maybe the new era of the sport that we've been discussing, the Liberty era... You know we have to kind of monitor that closely
3: because i I can imagine it be relatively straightforward to yeah, you know. i mean i think I think that that'll be slightly outside their scope i mean the these these track limits things deserve its own podcast, I think, but yes, yes. Uh, we could yeah. go on for ages <laughs> but you know fundamentally the other issue is is the inconsistency you know how do we choose some corners we or we just turn a blind eye and other corners we police and you know all of this stuff we just let, let's just figure out a way to get real grass and real gravel and real deterrence. It, actually, Paul Ricard's a good example because that's tarmac runoffs everywhere. But the way they've done the negative curbs and the step on the curb means that in a lot of places, by actually going beyond the curb, you know, beyond the white line, you lose performance because the plank of the car hits the floor and you you scrub speed. So, you know, it, the, the, there are solutions around the world. We just need to find them and then make it consistently implemented.
4: I just think we have to have Suzuka in every country, surely. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah, but even that's got more go tarmac Look at yeah. Turn 1, look at yeah, no, no, you know, They're putting more s- tarmac there as well. But I, I remember in, in, in 2009 when we went back to Suzuka after a couple of years at Fuji, um, all the 11-year-old Toro Rosso drivers were crashing during qualifying and everyone was in, all the indignant. Oh, someone said to Kimmy, do you think it's ridiculous that we race at a circuit like this? And Kimmy said, "No, absolutely not. You should be punished for making mistakes." The most animated I've ever seen him, actually. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it, was, it was good to hear. Yeah, like to me, Spa,
3: Spa's ruined. You know, they, with all the tarmac we have around Spa, it's, it's, it has actually been ruined. <clears throat> it's no longer the challenge that it should be, and it used to be. I feel as I've opened a can of worms here. Um,
1: never thought about doing the TT, the Isle of Man TT. That's, there's no runoff there. I think you'd probably quite enjoy that. Well, Oh, Goodwood. Good I, good, good I love going good to Goodwood every year. Yeah. I
3: mean, I... Um, uh i said to williams we ought to you know with the heritage stuff we, we ought to try and see if we could run a car on there but i think jo- johnny williams got a little bit twitchy at that point <laughs> the prospect of a 14b
1: <laughs> thrashed around the wood i'd pay to see that right uh, looking for one name who who would you put money behind um I uh, this season? I'll
2: take money out of it because the 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 answer I would say is Hamilton but it'll be a, that'll be a rubbish bet because he's obviously going to be the favorite. Um my hope is that it's going to be much closer and uh it could be Vettel or you know, Kimmy or whatever but uh if yeah if I had to um put my life on it I'd say Ham- Hamilton.
1: Right. Okay. So so 3 names. it didn't give Toyvan a no, so improvement. <laughs> yeah, <It's like> well <laughs> you didn't
4: mention Tot. So, you know. Simon. Uh, well he's just nicked my answer because um Logic suggests Lewis Hamilton. If I was actually putting money on it, I'd probably put a each way flutter on the two Ferrari drivers. Right.
5: Nick? Um, I guess I'm always looking for a story. Um, who do I think is going to win Lewis? I think I think you win. Um, I would like to see Kimi or Verstappen win for the story.
3: Uh, I concur. I mean, Lu- I think Lewis is the obvious one, but I, I've actually bet I got 6-1 to one on Vettel for the championship, and I got 12-1 to one on Kimi for Melbourne, so I think that's quite a good bet. That's very good. He's done 8-1 yeah. to today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we'll see. Ed, well, Ed come on. Uh, on yourself. <laughs> I would <laughs> like
1: to see Ricardo, um fighting probably for a world championship, because I think he's um, not necessarily an underrated driver, because I think people do rate him, but uh, I'd like to see him Get more success. He's he's a kind of kind of guy that um, is good for Formula One. He's different from a lot of Formula One drivers. who's engages with people. I think on a on a better level. Um, so there we go. Okay, one crazy bet then. I've I've
5: I've got a bet that Force India will win a race this year. I'll so, take that. Yeah. So I need I need another crazy bet from, from McLaren you guys. to finish on the podium. This is never going to happen, <laughs> is it? You, <laughs> get, you, you get you Force get uh, you yeah. get McLaren on the podium. If, it, if
1: it's a tr- if it's a simple fix, as Mark suggests, it, there's a small percentage it could be, small percentage chance. If I lose the money, Mark, I'll I'll, I'll come and find you. <laughs> um, Van
2: i would qualify Alonso over the season. Ooh,
3: that's a, good
4: that's one. a good one. <laughs> <Yeah>. Karun. <laughs> uh, Karun to
3: replace
5: Massa. Uh, <laughs> actually, no. Masa, the, actually, no
4: I, th- I think I think mine will be uh, a Kar- Karun to spend most of the year at Suzuka driving around in a. A super wheel car with a Honda <laughs> hybrid engine uh, or a, a TT. I hope that bet comes <laughs> yeah. through.
3: Well, um, go on, you haven't. Is that actually going to be your bet? Yeah, that, that's my oh, wow, bet. Oh yeah. okay. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, I'm going. I'm going to. Yeah. Um, I'm still thinking. I'm going to say Verstappen to beat Ricardo across the season. I don't know how crazy that is. Does that count mm. kind of as crazy? No, that's not crazy. That's not enough crazy enough. Okay. I'm going to say Kimi to beat. Seb across the season still that's not crazy, crazy no. really? but it's yeah. still it's not yeah. enough There is a crazy yeah. threshold
5: here
1: just look to your left yeah. uh all
5: yeah. right uh, uh,
3: uh, works Renault to get a podium how about that yeah exactly yeah. that okay that's okay. yeah and
4: it's uh, probably not that like crazy saber to beat McLaren in the championship for constructors wow
1: good lord right well there we go um we're going to be back at the end of the season. We're going to obviously review the whole season, but we've got loads of podcasts in between now and then. So thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Karoon, so, so much for coming in. Thank you, Alan, as always, for recording going all to have this. biscuits next time. I
3: keep getting promises, <laughs> biscuits, every time I come to a
4: podcast. You D- get did I promise I them biscuits. again and I didn't yeah, deliver? Again.
1: Okay, I'll tell you what, when McLaren finishes on the podium, I'll send loads of biscuits over. Thank you so much for watching and thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all soon.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Some things are made to cope with puddles and rain. Others deal with the stickiest of mud. And as for the snow, that takes a warm coat and sure footing. But when it comes to dealing with all conditions, there's only one thing that springs to mind. Mercedes-Benz formatic. all-wheel drive performance in any condition. So whatever the weather or road throws at you, you're ready. To see the formatic range for yourself, visit your local Mercedes-Benz retailer.
6: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?